We're now going to have a short interview panel discussion. Dr. R Ross Woods is the Senior Manager at the Centre of Excellence for quality, for quality, Diversity and Inclusion at the Higher Education Authority. Ross will moderate and interview two national experts on EDI and consider what role they will have in quality matters as we move forward. So we're going to hear from Dr. Lucy Michael, author and consultant on equality and integration issues. We're also going to hear from Dr. Philip Owende, Assistant Head of Ac Academic Affairs at TU Dublin. Over to you, Dr. Ross Woods. Thanks, Stella. Thank you very much. Um, well, I might continue your introduction for those of you who don't know, um, particularly Lucy. A lot of you will know Philip. Um, um, Lucy um, recently worked with, with, with uh, the HEA on producing the first ever report on race equality in higher education, which is a really groundbreaking moment for us as a, as a sector. So I'd just like to acknowledge that and, and thank her for that. And, and Philip is also someone who I've had the pleasure of working with in the, the EDI space. Philip is currently a member of the expert group who are undertaking the second national review of gender equality in higher education in Ireland. So we really are among experts um, today. Um, as Della said, the, 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 the focus of, of, of this conversation is around the role of EDI in education and I suppose more generally in uh, quality and qualifications given the, uh, where we are today. Um, I guess I'd also like to say um, this timing reminds me of when I was a lecturer. We used to call this the graveyard shift, so I'm <laughs> very pleased to see so many bodies, uh, warm bodies, still in the room. Um, but really, in, 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 at a national level, and not just in higher education and further education, across the whole territory system, the focus on EDI to date has really been on high-level policy. Uh, in the higher education sector, particularly, it's been looking at leadership, structures, um, training people, setting targets. But what I'd really like to consider today in conversation with Lucy and, and Philip is, is to draw on their differing areas of expertise and, and think about what the impact and role of EDI uh, will be on, the f on future QA and QA planning and, and, and what we, as all of us in the room, need to think about in that, that context. So I, I might start with you, Lucy, um, and people might actually now, after all that waffle, might be sitting here wondering, um, where do quality and qualifications meet equality? You know, what, what is the relevance? And what should we be thinking about, I suppose, at a strategic level, in, in your opinion? Uh, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me here today to join you for this conversation. I, I'm a former academic recovered, and uh, my whole career, 16 years in academia, was spent exploring equity and equality and diversity, particularly race equality, uh, through pedagogic innovation, through TNE, fly in, fly out TNE, uh, through QA processes in the UK and, and in China, um, and, and looking you know, back as far as 2009 at decolonizing a, a UK curriculum in China. So I was always driven by that idea of what can we do more um, and so when I had the opportunity to analyze the race equality survey for the HEA, I jumped at it. Because what an opportunity to find out what staff in so many institutions thought uh, about this subject. 
Um, and there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of um, surveys going on at the moment around race equality. I think, Philip, you and I might agree there's a bit of consultation fatigue even happening around this area. Um, but I think what's, what's really interesting is when we ask about, you know, what are we doing here as, as QA-interested people, we're talking about inclusive education for everybody. And very often, I think what we find is that when, when a framework or a set of standards is silent on something, we perceive that as neutrality uh, instead of the silence that it is. And so for so long, we have seen that silence in quality assurance frameworks, in the way that we judge what happens in higher education and further education. And we have seen an unsilencing of that around gender it is time now to say that unsilencing has to happen around equity in general. We have 10 protected characteristics of equality in Ireland. Um, we have a lot more work to do in that area. But why QA? Because QA is one of the few very powerful mechanisms we have for periodic check-in and review, systematic accountability, and high-profile messaging of QA uh, I think is extraordinarily powerful in this space. So what does EDI have to do with QA? Everything, I think, everything. And, it, and if I may say one more thing before you jump off to Philip, it's this, you know, one of the things that we are really bad at, I think, in third level, it, well, two things, if I may say. Uh, one is recognizing the need for this work. We have very often papered over the need for diversification of our research, our teaching, our curriculum, our student experience. We have, we have ignored it instead of building in the feedback loops that we need. And our feedback loops are almost to an institution unfit for purpose in terms of equity. Um, and the second thing is we have been really bad at recognizing the opportunities for equitable education and inclusive education. Uh, and that is in part because those things also are papered over. They're not rewarded, they're not recognized, they're never illustrated to the wider community. And if we do one thing coming out of this conversation today, I, I want us to really, A, in this room, feel the need for this work in terms of our sustainability, in terms of the efficacy of our graduates in society and industry, in terms of how responsive we are in third level education, and get better at communicating that to the rest of our third level community. Okay, so a little bit of work to do there for the sound of it. <laughs> Um, Philip, I suppose Lucy's talking about some of the, the high-level issues um, and how you know, we might start conceptualizing what EDI means and QA processes. Um, you have a lot of experience with these particular processes um, on the ground, I suppose. And so, so I was going to ask you, what would you say are the practical implications of integrating EDI into institutional quality assurance practice? Uh, thanks very much, Ross. Uh, first of all, uh, just to thank the QQI for, uh, for enabling this. Uh, I know quite a number of people thanked uh, Dr. Podrick Walsh uh, for renting the room. I want to extend that a little bit further uh, and, and thank him for actually allowing for this transaction of the centrality of people, of students particularly, and then of staff in meeting the obligations in the higher education sector. Now, uh, coming back to what, uh, to what uh, Ross uh, has asked there, uh, I, would, I would reflect back to uh, what uh, Dr. Linda Doyle spoke about this morning, and that is a good university. 
Now, for me, a good university is one that has people as the central theme, and then everybody builds around that. Now, by people, I, I mean students, and when you drill down on the students, you have apprenticeship students, you have undergraduate students, you have postgraduate students. At times when you lump all students together, you lose visibility of some of the, of some of the intricacies uh, of, of that, what that data tells you. Then when it comes to staff, you also, I mean, people normally think about just the academics. When you talk about quality, things about just the academics. But we are all aware that quality pervades the education system. It's the, it's the binding glue of professional services, students' uh, experience, and also the academic staff delivery. Now, remember that academic staff uh, also uh, have a life behind them. Uh, and again, going back to, to uh, uh, the, uh, what uh, Claude McGovern, uh, McGovern spoke about this morning, uh, this afternoon, uh, in relation to uh, students for change. I think the catchphrase that your group, when they walked out of classes, uh, what they used was uh, academic and professional staff working conditions are student learning conditions. Now, for me, that caught quite a lot of things in the sense that it tells you that everything has to move together in quality terms. For, you, for us to be able to provide for the right student experience, we need to back it up by providing for appropriate ecosystem for staff to perform at their best, and then also for professional staff to contribute to supporting that. Now, again, how you handle EDI in an academic environment. I can only say that uh, EDI is a culture. It's a conviction. So therefore, it requires system thinking on how to integrate that. Now, by system thinking, I mean you look at the whole and look, look at the mean and look at the impact of the mean on the whole uh, all tied up together. Now, there's nothing, when you look at what we look at in the key way, you have things like student experience, you have, uh, 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 you have curriculum, you have governance, you have internationalization, you have research, and the only thing that actually ties those together, and Lucy was right, that when you talk quality, everybody stands up. Now, the only difference is that at the moment, when you talk about quality assurance, people understand it as the minimum standard because you know that quality has to be graduated. It, it, it has to be enhanced all the time. So combine quality assurance and quality enhancement, then you have your own uh, uh, quality framework. And the good thing about not talking about quality assurance, but talking about enhancement and talking about framework, it enables innovation. It allows a bit of of academic freedom, it allows a bit of thinking out of the box, and it allows bringing things or borrowing things that work and bring them into the central student experience that we all want to, uh, or want to operate from. So, as a last remark, just to mention that EDI must be in an organization culture and because it is, it, is, it is the only way that you call for accountability every time something is missed. But the way quality assurance works at the moment is that it is not a carrot and stick situation. You allow contextualization. 
And in the context of allowing for contextualization, you enable a, a, a partnership that uh, strengthening the, that strategic partnership that QQI is talking about here. You enable iterative effect that encompasses learning, encompasses reflection, and again, you come back and simply ask. You put down the KPIs, you, you allow people to put their own KPIs based on their strategic plan. And when I started my career, somebody told me something that I think holds even up to now. If you are doing anything in the higher education sector, and it's not in the strategic plan, know that you're a loser. <laughs> so, so, so uh, and I think that holds even up now that, uh, that uh, the quality framework is, is aligned with the strategic plan. And any time you put in an EDI issue, somebody has not performed, next year they come and you actually call them to task, you call them to account. And each time there's an enhancement, there's improvement, and you borrow that from everybody else around you, and that is what generates best practice. Thanks, Ross. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, sir. <laughs> um, thanks, Philip, for the um, impassioned uh, defense of equality, diversity, and inclusion. Just, uh, uh, just one question which I'll pose to both of you because we're, we're just out of time. Um, and it goes back to something that Douglas said about widening scope and that stick to the nitty gritty and we shouldn't be you know, adding layer upon layer. But I guess, and um, you know, being in the EDI space, it, it's not about adding on EDI is what I'm hearing, it's about mainstreaming EDI. Would that be right? Uh, uh, yes, uh, actually, if you ask me, all institutions should be EDI by default, rather than any other way. And that's the way you work it out. Lucia lived the last word to you. Oh, I abhor the word mainstreaming because it's been so abused for so long, where mainstreaming means silencing minorities and those in small numbers. Um, so I would say this instead. Um, equitable practice is already within what we do, but we have not seen it, we have not recognized it, and we have not rewarded it, and it has not been in the strategic plan. Um, and I think what, what we have seen really well is that we have a tendency to go to very specific things like the Athena Swan framework, right? We just focus on gender. And now to say to all these gender specialists and experts, okay, we're gonna shift and do something different. Actually, just the, the practice of doing that is not saying we're adding something on, we're not adding on nine equality grounds to gender. We're actually saying you're already doing this practice. Let's use the nudge to say, let's make this a more, a more comprehensive practice. Um, and I think you know, one of the comments I'm just seeing on the screen there about community education by its nature provides opportunities for inclusive and equitable education. Yeah. It does, but so often we're narrowly defining who is community. And, you know, we, for all of the successes we've seen, we've also seen very stark failures. And those failures are because we are too rigid in our delivery. We are too rigid in our thinking. And we already know so many of the issues that are, create barriers for people into and within uh, third-level education. And we have to start acknowledging that research literature uh, and really relating it to our practice. Thank you, Ben. I'd just say thanks to Philip and Lucy. Mm -hmm.